What's good, everyone? It is uh, Thursday, March 8th, and this is Rafael Garcia back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Um, as always, just want to say thank you for joining us today. Be sure to click the like and subscribe button that you see on this YouTube uh, video. But as always, um, I want to also take a second to introduce my co-host, Schwan Humes. How are you doing there, sir? Uh, good, as always. Glad to, glad to be on the show again and uh, talking about the sport we have so much passion and interest for. Definitely, man. Definitely that. That is 110% facts. Now, before we go any further, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. All week, all week, and I just listened to another podcast that I love and appreciate um, earlier today. People have been saying left and right that no one called Brian Ortega winning by uh, first round finish. What do you guys say about that, Sean? Yeah, I, I've been hearing I've been hearing the opposite. All the people who, who said that Edgar was gonna win all of a sudden now were like, no, I called it that way. I knew that Ortega was a problem. I'm like, I didn't hear anybody saying that. I'm like, I didn't hear y'all saying that. Y'all y'all said it was experience. Y'all said he was gonna take him down. Y'all said he was gonna outbox him. And and it just didn't happen that way. And I I ain't get no credit for it. I ain't get no love on Twitter. I ain't get no love in anywhere. Nobody's mentioning the fact that I called it. And I actually let on our show last week, I said that his, his stand-up's improvement, he's got the jab, there's a chance he can finish him on the feet because Frankie's predictable, he runs in, and I said he can catch him with a counter hook, he can catch him with a counter uppercut. And he finished him with an uppercut, and I, I, can't, I can't get no love. So I, I don't know what to say. So here's the thing, man. Before we, we're not gonna, I don't want to harp on this too much yet, but go back, if you do not believe us, go back, listen to our show at um, last Thursday. The evidence is there. The proof is there. Just um, click on the click on the on on the uh, video. Hit play, and when you find out you were wrong, um, be sure that you hit that like and that subscribe button too while you're at it, because uh, Schwan definitely called this last week, and I got and I got to tip my head off to you. Um, it was a it was a it was a risky call, but hey, you did the damn thing and you got it out. I, that's what I'm here for. I, I keep telling people they need to listen to the show and just be dropping this knowledge. I could be making people rich, but they just they don't want to hear it. it. It's all right, though. All right. They'll come so, out eventually. With that, man, let's go ahead and talk about what we have um, coming off of Saturday's show. I mean, we there were seven fighters who were in, the, in, in their 20s who won, and that's probably like the biggest storyline coming out of last weekend that so many youthful fighters got the win on um got the one on on pay-per-view and it, i mean it, it wasn't a car that had a lot of fanfare didn't have a lot of attention coming into it but i think it definitely delivered um something else i'm going to talk about is expectations going into uh these um these cards but what do you guys uh what did you think about the fact that so many young fighters won and they won at a time when the UFC is struggling to build up these young fighters. What were your thoughts about that? Well, it's really important that they won because, I mean, Frankie Edgar is considered a star in the UFC. But the fact of the matter is Frankie Edgar is not a, a star in the sense that he drives pay-per-views, he drives ratings. He's, his, his popularity doesn't translate into actual cold, hard cash. So he's, he's, on, he's only so much of a benefit to the UFC because they can depend on him. He puts on good fights. He has a certain fan base, but he doesn't help their bottom line the way they want they needed to be helped so they can move to the next level. 
So when you have a guy like Brian Ortega who finishes them and finishes them in such a spectacular fashion, that makes an impression. That's the kind of thing that you keep talking about for days, weeks, months in a row until his next fight because you've never seen someone do this to a guy of Frankie Caliber's, Frankie Edgar's caliber before. You've never seen a guy be so dominant and show so much improvement from the first time he's in the octagon to this point. That's the kind of thing you can build on. That's the kind of thing you can get the fans behind. That's the thing you can. That's the thing you can sell. If Frankie would have beat him in typical Frankie Edgar fashion, what would the story have been? The veteran takes the rookie out. That you can't sell that. Frankie Edgar's had his chance to become a breakthrough star, just like Brian Caraway had opportunities to be a, become a breakthrough star. Kat Zingano's had chances to be a breakthrough star. Benil Dariush had opportunities to to move to the next level. They were always unable to break through with the fans and break through as elite fighters. So it's like you've had your chance. And the worst thing that can happen in any division is when the old guys or older fighters across the board are constantly constantly pushing back the young, developing, popular fighters who might have a chance to develop the fan base and might have a chance to move to the next level as far as their uh, Q rating or their brand. And that's what that's in the best example of that. Look at heavyweight and light heavyweight. It's all a bunch of old guys essentially running the division, you know, for the most part. Those divisions don't have the glamour and the and the fame and the attention that come with lightweight, they come with welterweight, they come even with middleweight because it's just a bunch of guys who you know aren't the best anymore taking out young guys, proving that they're not the best either. It just it hurts the brand all around because you have guys who aren't stars, who haven't made it, and aren't ever going to be stars, who are taking all the prime opportunities and the prime matchups from any youngster who might have a chance of breaking through and becoming a star. So for once, the UFC is having young guys who, who, haven't, who haven't had their story told a million different times, who we, who we don't know how good they're going to be, and they're moving to the next stage. They've passed the test, they're moving to the next stage. That's the way it's supposed to be in life, in sports, in almost everything. You have your time. If you don't get it done in your time, you got to step aside and let the new people who haven't had their time come forward and move and get their opportunity. So let's talk about that next stage because, as I mentioned, you know, twenty, 20 um, these twenty-five, just excuse me, these twenty-year-olds pulled out key wins on Saturday, but we really don't know what the next stage is, and I'm using next stage in air quotes because it can go one or two different ways. These guys can, all of these men and women can go out there and they can lose their next fight. I don't think that's that's not the that's not the takeaway here. It's that. Aside from Brian or Ortega and probably Caitlin Vieira, because I th- think they got they you know they defeated some very prominent, uh, experienced veterans in the sport. The rest of that lot need to be brought up in a slow and patient manner, um, especially Mackenzie Dern. And we're going to talk about that more later. But I think that that's what the UFC needs to look at next: bringing these guys and the, bringing these men and women up in a way that allows them to continue to grow without pushing too much on them too soon. Yes, I understand that the organization needs to make new stars and they need to do so quick because they have to, they, they need revenue and, and they the way they make their revenue is by people sitting down, spending their money to watch these athletes compete. But they can't cut their nose off in spite of their face right now, not with such a crop of young talent coming up all at the same time. Well, the thing about it is, and this is one thing UFC has never learned from boxing. As we know, you you know, you know the heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder, correct? Correct. I saw him yeah. kill uh, Old Boy on Saturday. Yeah, the first half of his career, like he was like twenty something fights into his career, and he's fighting guys who are straight bums. 
but they kept him fighting they kept him active they kept him in front of the cameras and yeah he was never a superstar but people saw him getting knockouts they they had some idea of who he was and he was getting a chance to work out all the kinks his timing his ring iq his technique as he was facing guys who weren't who were who got a little bit better for, from each opponent but really weren't guys who could really test them so then when he eventually got his opportunity at a title because at some point basically what i'm saying is you have to move people correctly you you don't have to put them in with ranked guys i don't care if the fighter demands a ranked person i don't care if they're super popular their popularity does not benefit from them getting beaten within an inch of their life versus an opponent that they weren't ready for you move them accordingly you have them against people of different calibers and especially in different areas that is going to help them develop their all-around game help them discover what their game is and their identity as a fighter help them work in all the things that they have their weekend all the things that they may be a little shaky in so they can have a fleshed out nuanced layered all-around game so that when they are tested when they are put in a bad spot they are prepared to act and react accordingly but with the UFC, they're in, in, and they've done this terribly. They've never been able to move a prospect because they always rush them too fast. Paige Van Zandt should never have fought Rose Namajunas that early. She should have been moved up to another middling kind of girl, another average kind of girl, and another average. She shouldn't have fought. She shouldn't have fought Rose until like another three fights down. She was not technically, nor physically, nor strategically skilled or prepared or refined enough to be fighting someone of that caliber. But they threw her in there because they're like, she's so popular, we need to justify her popularity. You don't have to justify anything to the fan. You run it like a business and run it professionally. If you had your own business, you don't go from serving 20 customers to 2,000 in a week. You can't maintain that kind of business. It's a undue stress that's going to sabotage your company's future. And what they keep doing is they keep trying to rush to grab the gold instead of rush across the, the tightrope to get to the gold instead of building a bridge. As long as you get to the gold, it doesn't matter. But you have to have a plan, you have to have a process, and you have to do it carefully because this isn't WWE, this isn't a movie. You don't know how things are going to go. You don't know what obstacles there's going to face unless you, and you have to have them be as prepared as possible. Otherwise, they get exposed as a hype job. And you know, that doesn't just hurt that one fighter, that hurts the next fighter you put the machine behind because they've already seen three or four hype jobs fail. So you we, you tell me this next guy is the next guy, or this next girl is the next girl who's going to be on top. Why do I believe you? I've seen the last six, seven, eight, nine girls or guys you told me who are going to be the next, the future of the sport, get smoked by a 15 and 11 middling club fighter. Get submitted, get beaten up, get knocked out. So now I have no faith in your, your ability to assess talent. I have no faith in whoever you put the machine behind, which means even if you have a potential prospect, I'm not paying for them. I'm not buying into them because the last three or four prospects you told me were flops, they were fakes, they were frauds, and I'm not supporting that anymore. I'm making a stand. So they have to do it professionally. They have to do it methodically, but MMA has never learned how to do that. All they do is throw prospects to the Lions and basically take away stars before they have a chance to be fully developed. And it's interesting because I was listening to a show this morning or this afternoon, and they were talking about um, the women's strawweight division and who can they put um, who can they put Dern against in the future? And the same should be, the same should go for any of these prospects. The conversation needs to kind of be about who can we bring in to fight these athletes. Not necessarily who's on the roster right now, but let's look around and see who can we bring in to um, compete against these men and women and not make it like a 
a death-defying test right out the gate. Like if you look at someone like um, I got two names for Dern. I mean, you like bring bring Mangana back or go with a uh, Kaylee Curran. She's like one in five in the UFC. They actually Great they athlete. just they just let Caitlin yeah. Curran go. So I mean, bring they could they, they could do that. But hell, they can bring like I was gonna go with um. Magana or a uh, Pearl Gonzalez. They can bring one of those two uh, athletes back, and that could be a fight that I believe Dern could easily win there. Um, not, and I'm not gonna say the term easily, but that's that's that would, would be a fight that she should be favored to win. And they could slowly build her up along the lines of that way. They need to instead of looking at their roster and saying who can we put this person up against next to leverage. Um, to leverage that opportunity, they need to uh, slowly build these these individuals up with the fights that they can make, and it, it is kind of in par with what uh, professional boxing does, where they where the top fighters don't fight the most dangerous competitors until they get to you know 20, 20 some odd fights in the game. I'm not saying that the UFC can wait that long, but there's no reason. Like, we shouldn't even be talking about uh, Mackenzie Dern fighting anyone within the top 15, especially not at straw weight, until what in the next year at the most six fights down the line, she, five she, six fights. She, she depending on how she progresses, because if she's like O'Malley and she makes a huge leap, that's different. But I say three to four fights because the U, the U season they did with Roger. I know people old school hardcore fans will know Roger Huerta. They had him in favorable matchups. He was coming into a star, and then they pushed him too far. They put him in a fight where he, the matchup did not play to his favor, and once he lost, he declined. Um, Jessamine Duke, who came in with Ronda Rousey off that season of tough, she should have went to Invicta and learned how to fight, learned how to be a pro, and uh, manage her skill set. Our, our, our previous guest, Jason Adams, a manager, that he saw her, you see her in training, she was good, but there was a disconnect between the training and the legitimate fighting, and instead of putting her in with girls, because you can put you can put a prospect in with somebody who can beat them, but you put them in with somebody who's going to out wrestle them or out grapple them, not someone who's going to beat them with an inch of their life or beat them into submission. Because you're damaging them before they become fully formed, and if you do too much damage, they never form in the complete manner they need to be to be a legitimate fighter. So you match them with somebody who might submit them, who might out wrestle them, because that's not a bad loss to the fans. Oh, you got out wrestle, you just fake that skill. Oh, you got grappled, you just fake that skill. You get in a back and forth war and you get knocked out or you have to have the ref pulled off you, mentally you might have damaged that fighter. They might never be able to recover because getting knocked out in your sixth or seventh fight is different than getting knocked out in your 12th or 13th or 14th fight when you got more experience, when you've kind of gotten a grasp of what being a pro is and you understand the limitations of yourself and of your game. They're just exposing these guys to the wrong kind. Like you said before, they're giving them the wrong kind of threats. There's certain losses that are good losses that you learn from. There are certain losses that take something from the fighter and put a hard ceiling over them moving forward. Yeah, and I, and, and I just don't... And I, this is... Everyone's excited about UFC for the right reason right now. Um, people are excited about the idea of what's Brian Ortega going to do next? Who should Sean O'Malley fight next? What about Mackenzie Dern? Like, they're excited to look forward to these men and women fighting next. Compare that to the way people talk about Paige Van Zandt and Sage Northcutt, it's almost like a, oh my God, why is the UFC shoving these people down our throats? The, the, the narrative between the two is are totally different. And I hope they learned enough from the way they pushed and promoted Paige and Sage in such a way that turned people off from them. Um, someone tried to get a little bit, of, he's starting to get a little bit back though. He's, he he's is. Come back. He's put some wins together. Paige, on the other hand, 
She looks the same as she looked three years ago. And yet they still want to push her to the forefront. They want everyone to talk to her. And that's another conversation. But I definitely am, am pleased with what I saw on Saturday. I think it was a great card. Not a great card, but it was a card that I enjoyed watching from start to finish. It, it, it was definitely something. It was worth my time. Um, and I would like to see. I hope that we see something positive next from these prospects in the future. Before we continue on with UFC 222, we're going to come back to that during our recap portion of the show. Let's talk about some other news from uh, this week. Did you see uh, the Canelo Alvarez tra- um, controversy surrounding his failed drug test leading into his um, May 5th rematch against Triple G? Yeah, I heard about it. it. It's bad on a lot of levels. A lot, a lot of levels. Why so? Let's talk about that. Well, you know, you know that a Canelo's like super rich. He owns ranches for one, and B his his trainers who've been training him, developed him as a fighter. They're 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 both in that business, like butchers and processing meat and and, and providing meat for stores and for people. Like that's their business. So how do you have two pe- one guy people who own ranches who deal with animals who that's how they made the majority of their money in their life is doing that? How does that happen with all these people who are so invested in that? that line of work you know i mean it, yeah I mean, it's it, it, it's like you it's like you covering a grappler who was a fake black belt the grappling thing's your world you cover that how did he fool you that's supposed to be your thing if you fool me that's that's possible i'm not as in-depth i should know too but that's your thing grappling's your thing how did you not see this he's a fake he's a fake back black belt how did you how did you not notice I mean, that's what they do. That's what they've spent their life in. They deal in that ranches and animals and selling meat and slaughtering. That's what they do. So how did how did this slip through? Given given what's on the line, given the money you have, given the, the resources you have and the ways you make your money, how did, how did this happen? It might have been an accident, but when you deal with that line of work, how do you let that accident happen? Good point. Because I mean, let's I mean, and and God forbid, let's say he fights. Golovkin and like he just knocks he cold costs him knocks him out in in a couple rounds vicious knockout. I mean it's it's all gonna come down on him. There's no he he's never gonna get away from this, whether it's an accident or not. This is something you just can't let happen, and and it happened to him. And they can say it was a meet and maybe it is, but um, it, it's just something that's gonna overshadow the fight regardless of how it goes. Especially if he wins by some kind of knockout or he or if his punches seem more powerful this time around. Well, let's talk about that because do you think it will overshadow this weekend or is it just going on, not not this weekend, excuse me, when the fight occurs on May 5th? Or is, I mean, it's almost two months away. Is there enough time that that the story kind of, kind of dies out as the fight promotion um, grows? It will not matter. This will be something they, they mentioned the fight promotion. This will be mentioned repeatedly. I mean, like he got caught with Trace with enough in there and they're saying it's tainted me, but the fight's still going on. I mean, Golovkin could pull out of the fight. He could really just end the fight right now because and nobody would nobody would question him because you don't you don't I mean there's science and everything I don't know the science of it and I'm not saying I do know the science of it but just the way it looks it's just not a good look right now it's like it's like if you're a guy in Hollywood and someone accuses you of, of harassing a woman or or trying to date a woman who doesn't have interest in you that's that's no good right now it's no good period but in this this day and age in this atmosphere. You can't be associated with that at all. You're going to lose everything. Lose whatever job you have. Lose whatever movie you have. Lose whatever position you have. It's a wrap. Now, Canelo's a big enough star. It's going to over... Because he's such a big star, 
it's gonna be it's gonna overshadow the whole thing. He's like the biggest star to ever be in this position, and it, and it might just be trace elements. It might just be an accident. But who's a bigger star than Canelo Alvarez? Like as far as popularity and money, who's been busted on some sort of performance enhancement or failed a drug test? John Jones is nowhere near this dude. This is essentially like if Conor McGregor got caught with PEDs. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, man. I mean, yeah, I guess because if you look at Canelo's status in the sport right now, if he was to be caught with um, something like that, it, it would, I mean. But he, yeah, he was caught. I mean, it's not, excuse me, if it, if it uh, well, yeah, it does kind of have that, kind of, that, that type of negative connotation that he isn't a biggest star as Conor McGregor, but it's, it's on their level. Like, he's their yeah, version I, of them right now. I mean, if, if he could, if Conor could not have fought Floyd, the only other person he could have made close to the money he made with, against Floyd would have been Canelo. Canelo's no worse than number three in combat sports, MMA and, and boxing. I'm not going to argue that. And this is the point I always make. Everybody always says, well, it's just me. It's just an accident. Let me tell you, if Golovkin would have had trace elements in his thing and he would have said, I was in Mexico and I was eating the meat, Canelo's people wouldn't have bought it. They'd be all over it. So you can't tell me to quiet it down when it's you, knowing that if somebody else got busted, you'd be speaking out loudly and often about about this. And if you think when they're doing the lead up to an HBO, you think this is going to get mentioned? It's going to get mentioned. Going to get mentioned on, ES, mentioned on ESPN. This is the biggest fight in boxing this year. This is the biggest fight in boxing this year. It's going to be mentioned all over the pot, boxing boxing broadcast. It's going to be mentioned on ESPN. It's going to be mentioned on MMA. It's going to be mentioned... In the newspapers, even mentioned on all the blogs, it's it's the biggest news to hit combat sports right now. It's going to be mentioned all the way to the fight and after the fight. And if he he scores a brutal knockout over Golovkin, who's never been stopped and never been dropped, and all of a sudden Canelo knocks him out, you can't tell me that's not going to be the first thing that crosses your mind. Like he was nowhere near close to knocking him out before, and now he just he knocked him cold. True. Sure. True. That's definitely some um, interesting, uh, interesting commentary there. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how it gets played out over time. Though I don't, I don't think well, it's going know, to be. I know as a covered. lot of boxing trainers, like old boxing trainers, like who work with people. None of them believe this is fake. Whether it is or not, they ain't believing it. They're like, at this day and age, with the money you make, because Canelo makes a lot of money. Canelo's like an enterprise. Nobody's buying this. Now, some people won't speak out publicly because. They deal with Golden Boy. They don't want to get blacklisted, blackball stuff. Ain't nobody buying this. The only people who might be buying it are somehow connected to him. People who, who aren't connected to him ain't buying it. I know a lot of boxing trainers. They are not buying it one bit. They don't believe it. They don't agree with it. They don't see it. They're thinking something else is up. Interesting, man. Well, we'll, we'll have to see how, how this is covered. I don't think it's going to be covered the same way you do, but um, we'll just have to see because uh, there's still plenty of time between now and when that fight um, goes off. Speaking of what's next for fighters, did you catch the heavyweight bout between the schedule between Alistair Overeem and uh, Curtis Blades? I did hear about that. What are your initial thoughts about this guy? I think this is this is another fight where it's like where um, you have, here you have Overeem, you know, multiple time champion across uh, combat sports except for the UFC where he struggled in um, that center stage. And you have a guy in Curtis Blades who's um, up and coming. I'm not sure how old he is. I'll check that in a second. But what do you think about this fight? Is this a is this the right time to put Blades in this type of bout, or do you think that Overeem will be a bit too much? 
Um, it's a, it's the right time. I don't think it's necessarily a fight he can't win. But people keep on sleeping on Overeem. The fact of the matter is, as far as actual all-round skill sets, Overeem's still one of the very best, most technical heavyweights in the world. He's probably one of the better grapplers. Um, he's not a natural wrestler, but he can get people down. He's probably, if not the the top the top striker in heavyweight. You know, he's no worse than second or third. He's got a really good all-round skill set, and he's been world-class or, or close to elite for the majority of his career in kickboxing and mixed martial arts. And he's trained with some of the best camps, and he's always he's shown some good poise and strategy and ability to adjust in a fight. He's not just some some guy who got exposed in the UFC. He had some ups, he had some downs, but even in the fights he lost, he was showing you flashes of why he is who he is. Yeah, he got beat by Travis Brown, but let's, let's not forget what he was doing to Travis Brown before Travis Brown landed that front kick. It wasn't <laughs> like Travis Brown just walked all over him. This is a tough matchup for Blades because unlike Mark Hunt, who doesn't, who's not very good at defending takedowns, who's not very good about getting up from takedowns, a guy who doesn't have any real threat off his back or in a, in neutral positions or in grappling exchanges, Overeem can submit him. I know he hasn't done it in a while, but Overeem still is one of the better grapplers in mixed martial arts. His takedown defense isn't great, but given his size and his still impressive athleticism, he can defend takedowns. He's a good striker. He's got good speed. He can counter. He can lead a bit. He's got with the knees, the clinches. He can do the punches a little bit. He he's probably the best kickboxer in the in the division. So it's not something. There's a clear path to beating over him. Yeah, his chin's a little suspect. Yeah, you wonder if he'll quit when he takes a certain amount of abuse. But if you just look at the skills and the experience he has on paper, this isn't an easy fight for Blades. And Blades isn't like Ngano. He's not some dynamic, athletic specimen. He's not a one-punch knockout type guy. He's a grinder who rush you up, who beats you up, out hustles you, and wears you down. And it's going to be hard to do that because Overeem can attack you from multiple layers. Overeem can attack and defend from multiple levels in multiple areas in the cage. So this is going to be a matter of his toughness and his grit and his ability to impose a pace and his will on Overeem against Overeem's skill, his experience, his poise, and his range, his variety of skills. It's a, it's a really tough matchup. Just because Overeem came off a brutal knockout loss doesn't mean that based on skills that he can't give Blades the business. If Blades isn't still progressing, if Blades gets out of character, if Blades leans too much on being aggressive and too much on being physical, he can easily get finished. Easily. Hmm, interesting, man. Um, let me see how old Curtis Blades is. He's 27. So, yeah, he's another young guy. He's riding a four-fight win streak. He, one of his fights was um, overturned. He's only lost to Nganu, and that was back um, in 2016. So, um, yeah, let's see what he does at um, heavyweight, man. We, we may be looking at another prospect to go right along with that um, the group that we were talking about earlier today. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very, and, I don't want to downplay him. I'm very impressed with him, but let's not act like my, like Mark Hunt, even though Mark Hunt gave him some scares. Let's not, let's not make Mark Hunt out to be something he's not. Once you take Mark Hunt down, if you can get him down clean without getting countered or drawn into a counter, Mark Hunt doesn't have anything for you off his back. And if you're a good wrestler who can maintain a pace, you're just going to beat him up and take him down. It's not like we haven't seen other people do that to Mark Hunt before. We have. So even though he did it, he worked through a tough spot. That's very impressive. He showed some IQ, some situational awareness. Great. But let's not make it out to be something that it's not. Mark Hunt is still Mark Hunt. As good as he is on the feed, as good as he is at countering, he's nobody's wrestler. He's nobody's grappler. And at this stage in his game, he's not as nearly as durable or explosive as he used to be. There's, there's, it's, 
it's a lot easier to beat this Mark Hunt than it is the Mark Hunt who um, who beat a myriad of other fighters two or three years ago. He's not that same guy. Let's let's not overstate the win. It's an important win. It was a great win, but let's not overstate the win when we're looking at the actual skills and abilities of the fighters involved. All right, sir. We won't overstate anything. I'll take your um, advice. We will not overstate a damn thing. So let's see, let's see, let's keep it moving. And I wanted to talk about George St. Pierre's comments from this week because yes, we had quite a bit to say on, I think it was on the MMA Hour on Monday, where he said a lot. Um, he talked about his next fight. He talked about who he would fight, who he would not fight. And I kind of want to touch on a couple of different things because he was, you know, he, he's going through his health issues. Um, the two, one of the few. What is, he, is he the fifth guy to win a title in two-way classes? Um, the fourth or fifth guy? I mean, it's Kotor, Penn, McGregor, and GSP fourth. So um, he talked about who he could be fighting next. He talked about his health issues that he's dealing with. And when it comes to the idea of him fighting, whom he will fight next, um, what I think was interesting about this is that he talked about moving down to 155, which is something that he's flirted with in the past. Um, I'm not sure how he would make that weight, but you know I think he would be an excellent fighter at, at that weight class if he could make it and make it in a healthy fashion. But he also brought up the name of Ben Askren, and that is something that really caught my eye because it, it that that's a fight I've wanted to see for years. It's a shame that Ben Askren never fought in, in the UFC because he deserved that opportunity. I mean, he's one of the, he's one of the best guys outside of the um, outside of the UFC. And if you look at who he's beaten, it, you almost gotta wonder how well would he have done in his prime within um, the octagon. But what are your thoughts about? this whole conversation here. First and foremost, would you be interested in seeing a fight between GSP and uh, Ben Askren? I'd be inter- I don't know how well it would sell in general, but as far as actually seeing the fight, I would be interested in seeing it. Um, if No other reason, I've seen Askren with a, essentially a one-dimensional, one-note game shut down some very good, fairly, ver- fairly w- wide-range skill fighters. And I'd be in- I'd be interested to see if he could do the same thing to GSP because I've always wondered. I'm like, yeah, he's doing this to this guy and that guy, but these guys don't have GSP's level of experience. They don't have his athleticism. They don't have his poise. They don't have his skill set. They don't. They they haven't tested themselves against the best athletes and some of the best competitors in the world. So does that stuff make enough a difference to offset what Askren does? It'd be a very interesting fight to me just to see if Askren could really do what he said he's been able to do for the entirety of his, his career. And if, and if somehow GSP was able to neutralize him and beat him, like, I mean, that might be the biggest accomplishment of his career over anything he's done prior. So there's a few things that I want to say about Astro that kind of stand out to me. If you look, if you look at his record now, or if you looked at his record when it was occurring, it's kind of like, eh, you know, it, it wasn't as much of a, as much of a thing. But when you look at the names that he's beaten and how they progress, Andre Koreshkov, Douglas Lima, probably his two biggest wins. Seeing what they're doing now, do you think that that adds any value to his resume? I would not pick Askren over either one of those guys now, but looking at what he did back then and how he did it to both of these, both of those fighters, does that make you think of him any differently? Um, well, the thing about it, I, I think in a lot of senses, I think he was still, he might be, those guys the same way. I mean, you saw what happened to Lima when he fought McDonald. McDonald just wrestled him. 
That's true. He wrestled him with the damage like in McDonald. Is he, he McDonald's got good wrestling, but a lot of his wrestling success is because he's a little bit bigger. He's actually a, probably a middleweight fighting a welterweight, and he, he has the striking to get set up the takedowns, and he's tough enough to take the heat and get under and let you commit to your shot, tie you up, and, f and finish the takedown. It's not as technically correct, nor does he have the variety in his game and the athleticism of Ben Askren. So, but the fact of the matter is, Rory McDonald was able to get his hands on on him on Lima and repeatedly take him down and Lima either was unable to get back up or just didn't have the good sense to try to get back up to force the fight on his feet. So if you're telling me Lima has the same fight IQ or his re or his wrestling and his transitions or his ability to hit sweeps is so poor that he can't get McDonald off him, then you're going to have a hard time convincing me that Askren couldn't find some way to get him to the ground and control him if not beat him up and submit him again. Same thing with Korshkov. Korshkov is he's a good fighter, but all the guys he's been beating up haven't been really anywhere near national level gra grapplers or wrestlers, much less world legitimately world class wrestlers. King Mo always gets mad at me because I'll be like, oh, I'll say this guy's world class. He's like, they might be world class in MMA wrestling. They are not world class wrestlers. It's different when it's a world class wrestler. John Hendricks is not a world class wrestler. Neither is Josh Koshche. So these guys haven't they haven't beaten another world class wrestler. A guy who, if he gets his hands on you, takes you down left and right. I mean, Askren's almost like a less violent Khabib Nurmagomedov. I haven't seen anybody resist him or hold him down or shuck him off repeatedly. He gets his hands on you, eventually gets you down, and then he just roughs you up. I think he could do it to them again. I haven't seen them beat anybody who tells me differently. Okay. All right. So I'm not going to um, disagree with you there at all. Uh, he also has some pretty other uh, intriguing comments when he talked about um my I think my biggest takeaway is I loved how he talked about him not being a fighter that Dana White could control. I think that that's that's the most important thing. I want to read the whole quote too as well. Let's see if I can find it. Start, uh, let me see. Yeah, I've always I've, it always rubbed me the wrong way how and I've talked to other fighters about this. I can't can't name their names. They probably just get ticked off of me, so I'm not gonna say their names. But they're like. I've had guys in my camps who literally w will take less money and jump and do exactly what Dana go over this go go to this organization and get a couple wins and they'll do whatever it takes to get that UFC on their back or, or get that UFC contract and it's very concerning that people are putting their best interests their health and their financial health at risk just for an opportunity to have these letters on their shirt or on their contracts and it's like so many guys who are strong guys good parents good husbands some of the most dangerous fighters in the world, people in the world, and this man who's not a fighter and isn't like some lifelong 30, 40, 60, 80 years of, of promoter, and they just do what he says without any sort of question or any sort of pushback. They just do what he says because he's connected to the UFC and they want to be a part of it. And a lot of fighters get concerned because they have these fighters who are willing to give up money and better opportunities and guarantee checks and fights just to be a part of the UFC, and it's always rubbed me the way wrong, wrong the way he talks to people, and he bullies them to an extent. And it's 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 always appealed to me that Ben Askren said, you know what, you want me to go over here and fight? I'm not doing that. I'm doing what I want, and whether I get in or not, I'm just gonna live my life the way I want. I'm gonna compete the way I want, and either you're gonna bring me in because I'm the best, or you're just not gonna bring me in. But I'm not gonna let you intimidate me and dictate how I live my life. Yeah, that's definitely kind of how it went down, and. We're looking at a situation where, you know, there are there are hurdles that would kind of jump through 
having this uh, causing that fight to happen between Askren and um, GSP. But I love the fact that these are two men that have openly defied, and I'm, I hate to use the term defied him, but have openly uh, worked against what he's wanted. Like he, they put their interests in front of his own, um, in front of the organization as a whole first. And that has some dangerous um, precedents because if everyone started doing that, there would be some problems. But well, they'd be it's interesting. Them. It'd be it'd be actually better for the fighters. It would be better for the fighters, yes, but it wouldn't be better for the fans. But again, I, I always um, I always believe fighters should put themselves first. But that's neither here nor there. That's not not the conversation right now. I just I find it very interesting that GSP was willing to take a stand and say what he had to say and just kind of make it known, like, hey, I'm doing what's best for me first and foremost, and I'm making that clear. I feel like in the past, he's, I feel like he's always done that, but he just hasn't been open about talking about it. And now seeing him talk about it makes it much more um, much more intriguing and much more relevant, I think, in this uh, day and age. Yeah, it, uh, you have to... I mean, the thing about... The best thing about it is he came in and he won. That's the most important thing, because if he lost, the UFC always has guys on the losing streaks who are about to get cut. And then they start talking. He's on a high. He won the middleweight championship in a spectacular fashion. He get, and then he got all the goodwill of giving the belt up so that he wouldn't hold up the division. So he, he's really on a high, and he doesn't have to have these conversations. He doesn't have to take these stands. And yet he's here taking them. I mean, he doesn't, the fact that he's mentioning Ben Askren is a huge favor to Ben Askren. GSP's legacy is made. Whether he beats Ben Askren or not, his legacy is made. The only person this, re- this really, really benefits would be Askren. Because there's so many questions about what kind of fighter he is and what could he have done and what could he have not have done. GSP's already, he, he's a made man in mixed martial arts. He's super rich, he's super well-known, and he's considered the cleanest and most dominant athlete in the sport. There's there's nothing that's going to hurt hurt him or really benefit him. The fact that he's mentioning Ben Askren is, shows what kind of martial artist he is because he recognizes the competition and the threat. And it shows what kind of person he is because he's given Ben Askren more run and respect than any other welterweight champion or any other fighter from the UFC has ever given him by actually saying his name and talking about fighting him. That's a huge sign of respect, and that does nothing but help Ben Askren in, in having leverage and in any opportunities he might have with the UFC. That that does it for him. That he, GSP, GSP's helped him out. And maybe Ben Askren won't see it like that, but essentially GSP could have said who, Ben who, Ben what? But no, he said Ben Askren that's a challenge I'm interested in taking. And that's only going to help Ben Askren's cause. Yeah, I'm definitely um, agreeing with you on that point. I want to go ahead and um, jump into the conversation about uh, UFC 222. We got a recap to kind of look at and look back at this card as a whole. And um, I want to start with the main event. We didn't talk about this earlier where Chris Cyborg stopped Yana Kusakaya in the, was it the first round? I don't even remember, dude. I, yeah, I remember watching. The first round. I remember watching the main event and like not watching it at, at the same time, if that makes any sense. Um, what did you think about this fight between these two ladies? And uh, were you surprised, for lack of a better term, of what occurred? I wasn't surprised. Even with the takedown, I wasn't really surprised by that. I figured that Jackson Wink had seen what um, seen what Evanger did with Cyborg. They saw what Cyborg did with Holm. They knew Cyborg was going to come in pressuring, looking looking to land that, that counter right hand over the jab or over those uh, front kick, front kicks, teeth kicks, whatever she was using, draw them out, counter heavy over it. So I, when she took her down for a brief second and went to her back, that didn't shock me. Some people were like, oh, we might have a fight. But 
as I said before last week, Yana is a better all-round mixed martial artist. She may not be as tough as Holly, as great an athlete, or throw out as much volume, or be as elusive as Holly, but she can actually threaten in multiple areas. Holly was never going to be a threat to take anybody down and submit somebody. So when she went for that, it made sense to me because you know Cyborg's, come, Cyborg's not going to expect a, a shot, and Cyborg can be taken down because she pressures so heavily, especially when she's pressured and looking, looking to counter. You can take her down. So she did, and she had a brief moment, but the simple fact of the matter is Cyborg's almost like Mike Tyson now. These girls are really afraid to commit to anything, even when they're throwing punches. Holly wasn't, but a lot of these girls are afraid to commit to shots. They're afraid to commit to clinches. They're afraid to commit to countering her or leading with their own offense because they know when Cyborg hits you, you stay hit. They know if Cyborg gets her hand on you, she's going to throw you into the cage. She's going to toss you around. She's going to start landing knees to your gut and, and beating you up and embarrassing you. So a lot of girls fight. It I won't say they're scared. It seems like they're fighting scared. It seems like they're excessively nervous and they can't execute. You see them being extra flinchy. I've never seen Avenger flinch that much in a fight. I've never, and Avenger's a veteran. I saw Yana kind of flinchy and jumpy. The minute she got touched, she was just, like, just seemed, she just seemed a little scared. And if you're fighting scared and you're fighting nervous, you can't execute the way you, you, you want to execute. I felt that she could put on a better performance, lasted a little bit longer given her length and some of her offensive skills. But the fact of the matter is she, she didn't seem very confident in herself. She didn't seem very committed to it. And Cyborg was all in. And she was looking to kill, and that's what happened. So what is a so actually there's been some interesting news um, that came out because uh, suppose so after UFC 222 Dana White said that the fight to make is between Cyborg and Nunez that he was going to take the proposed title shot from Raquel Pennington and book um, that bout between the two Brazilian women. However, it was announced today that. Nunez and Pennington are the main event for UFC 224, which I believe is in Rio. So what do you think about this, Juan? Do they take that fight from Pennington and build the super fight now while they have the opportunity to? Or knowing that Cyborg only has two more fights left on her deal, do they allow her, do they have her fight Megan Anderson and maybe put her on the shelf for a little while and maybe see if Nunez comes out the win and make that her last contracted fight? Or do they go some other route? Um, I really don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that the Anderson fight really appeals to anybody. I mean, she's a legitimate featherweight, but she hasn't fought in, what, a year? Close to a year now? I think Did it appeals fought? to, like, hardcore, because, no, like, you haven't even seen Megan Anderson featured on any UFC promotions at all. So it's almost as if, you know, like, the hardcores may know who she is, but their, their pay-per-view buying fan base may not. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, the hardcores are going to pay to see because Cyborg is so dominant and so impressive. The hardcores are going to turn up, t tune in to see her regardless of who she fights. I don't think the hardcores think that Megan Anderson has a good chance. I mean, I, I just really don't. Megan Anderson was beaten up by Cindy Dandawas, who was knocked out in the first round by Yana Kuna Kuniskaya. So, I mean, I, I know MMA math doesn't always translate over. But that's the same reason no one was excited about Kuniskaya because she got worked over by Tanya Evinger. So they're like, well, if Evinger did that to you and Cyborg did this to Evinger, what's going to happen to you? Well, Megan got beat up badly by Cindy Dandoaz. And Dandoaz couldn't even make it outside of a round with Yana. When Yana wasn't, wasn't, wasn't even really all that sharp or that developed, she got stopped. One punch down the pipe. Knocked her, knocked her out cold. So, I mean, like, Megan hasn't 
from the fights I've seen of her, she didn't show me anything that said she beat Cyborg. I actually got in a Twitter argument with her over that. I was like, I don't know what holes you see or what flaws you see. You can't exploit them based on what I've seen. You can't exploit them. I don't, it's not an exciting fight to me. She doesn't have a fan base. She hasn't fought in almost a year. I don't think hardcores are particularly interested in it outside of her being a legitimate featherweight. The Nunes fight would be interesting because Nunes is a top-end athlete. Nunes has fought often. She's dominated her, her division, and she's shown dynamic athleticism and power. So that might appeal because we haven't seen Cyborg in with an athlete who generates as much power and has comparable athleticism in theory. Nunes has comparable athleticism. That's what, make that, that's what makes that fight interesting. But the fight with Anderson, I mean, you could, you, you could make the fight with Anderson. But I don't know that anybody you know, cares outside of just seeing seeing her fight a legitimate uh, a legitimate featherweight, but she was fighting featherweights in Invicta and nobody cares. So why are they going to care now for her to fight a no-name, fairly unaccomplished featherweight? I'm not going to disagree with you there at all. Um, I, I think personally that the plan is that they have um, Cyborg fight Nunez. If she comes out victorious, they book that. Uh, fight against Nunez, excuse me, Cyborg and Anderson. If if Cyborg comes out victorious, they book against Nunez for her last contracted fight because um, they do have a better working relationship now, and I can see that that would be the better opportunity for the the um, organization. I just wonder if they're going to get there, get to that point. I don't know. She might not have the belt because I mean, quite honest, Pennington's a real a real tough matchup for. Her. There's there's a fifty fifty chance she don't have the belt and she doesn't get that. So- and just to remind you, she could have had that cyborg fight earlier. Remember, she said, "I don't want to fight cyborg. I'm not ready for." Her. She could have had that cyborg fight like a year ago. They needed someone to fight cyborg. They were looking for someone to fight cyborg. And Nuna said she did not want to fight cyborg, or she wasn't ready, or she was defending her belt. Whatever she said, the fact is, she could have had that fight a year ago, and she didn't want it. And now all of a sudden, she does because she doesn't have any avenues to make any money, and she doesn't. She doesn't. She. All the challengers are tough but they're not going to get her paid. So now she's looking for another Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate kind of paycheck. The only person who can give her that is Cyborg. But as I said before, and I will keep saying this, she could have had that fight a year ago. She just didn't want it. Now all of a sudden she wants it. And the UFC ain't giving it to her right away. And I don't think they should either. I mean, if I'm her management, I try to finagle my way out of it. But the fact of the matter is that the fight was on the table for her about a year ago. She didn't want it. So now the UFC is going, going about their business. And um, she's going to have to beat Pennington to get to the Cyborg. And she's going to have to make, make it look impressive for people to buy into the fact that she could be Cyborg. If she barely squeaks by Pennington, that's not going to cut it. And if she loses to Pennington, that's not going to cut it either. So, I mean, she's kind of put herself in a weird position. And I, I hope she's prepared to not just win, but do so impressively. She does what she did against Shevchenko last time. That ain't That's not going to get her a fight with Cyborg. It will be Megan Anderson if she performs like that. It's another boring paint by the numbers fight so she's got a lot riding on this and um she, she can't afford to slip because a very big money fight is going to slip through her hands if she's not on point 100 percent. yeah i can definitely agree with you on that there let's talk about um what occurred on the rest of the card um we already talked about ortega and um edgar do you book edgar in the main of, uh, excuse me not edgar do you book ortega against holloway immediately i think that's a fight that they have to get booked and i especially hope they get it booked for this year with holloway being injured and may not be until like q3 q4 which i understand but um they need to find a way to get that fight booked and booked at, on a big card that showcases not only these two but but puts a car put they put, need to put a card together that makes everyone want to see this fight for one reason or another 
Yeah, I mean, it's the only fight they made. Who are you going to put in against Holloway? Jeremy Stevens? You're going to make Ortega try and fight Jeremy Stevens next? I mean, Holloway, uh, Ortega's done the things that Jeremy Stevens hasn't been able to do. He's beaten an elite featherweight. And you can say Edgar lost a step. You can say Edgar's old. Edgar ain't that much older. Because, uh, like, a year ago, he, he, he outclassed and outworked Jeremy Stevens. So, there's no other fight to make unless somebody gets injured and you go for an interim belt. Otherwise, you have to put in Ortega versus um, Holloway. This, this is as hot as this fight's going to get. I mean, there's, there's no way to make it any, any more impressive. Edgar had never been finished. Ortega finished him. Aldo had never been dominated and finished like he was. Well, except in McGregor. Other than that, he had never really been dominated and finished like he had by Holloway. So those two things really stand out. Those are the last two impressions we have of Holloway, of him beating up and stopping Aldo. The last impression we have of Ortega is him icing Frankie Edgar. There's not, nothing else you can do to build this fight up or make it any more of a legitimate interest to hardcore fans or even casual fans. This is as good as it's going to get outside of promotion. So it has to be the next fight. Anything else would just be a waste, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, for Edgar's sake, what do you do with him? There's a conversation about him moving down to 135, um, or if he's that far out of a title shot at 145. What would you do with him next if you were in charge? He's not super far out because he, he has so many wins over everybody else in the division. I mean, he's beaten all the other named guys in the division for the most part. So he's not super far out. It's just the way he lost so decisively. Um, I don't know about the 35 thing. I don't know if anybody's noticed, but at 55, Edgar didn't get hit quite as much because he had sort of an athletic advantage. He was quicker, in some cases a little bit more explosive than certain guys. Since he's gotten to 45, guys, guys have been able to keep up with his stamina. Guys have been able to keep up with his movement and his speed. He's gotten hit a lot, and I said this last week, by less than stellar strikers because he no longer has that quickness advantage. He no longer has that cardio and agility advantage. It, it went away at a lower weight. When you drop weight, you have more an advantage in, in durability and physicality and power, but you lose your advantages in quickness, agility, and explosiveness and overall athleticism. His athleticism doesn't stand out at, at 45. Not among the elite, it doesn't. And if he goes into 35, I'm not saying he can't compete in there. He'd be probably bigger, stronger, be able to handle his in wrestling exchanges. He'd probably be able to do a little bit more damage with his punches because he, he's beating people up at lower weights and he didn't do that really in, in lightweight. But once again, he'd be with guys who are a little bit faster, younger, quicker, and um, in a lot of cases, way more skilled than the guys he's been facing at 45. I don't know that that's a good look for him. I mean, I, there's guys he can beat at 35, but I don't know if he can make the weight and be the same guy, and he's already lost a step to me. So if he's already lost a step and the weight cut is tough, that's another step he lost. I guess he got a bunch of guys who work at a very high pace and are very offensively minded. I mean, Cody Garbrandt puts a puts a puts a fist in his face. That's a bad night. T.J. Dillashaw puts a fist in his face. That's a bad night. John Dotson isn't who he used to be, but he's still more athletic than Frankie Edgar, and he lands clean on him. John Lineker. I mean, he could beat all these guys, but the same instance, these guys would have an athletic advantage over him that'd be hard for him for his style of fighting to work at 100% effectiveness. I think he should just take another fight. I think he should take some time off. They should give him a a tough but winnable fight, see how he feels, see how he holds up, and then after that, you move to the next stage. I don't think you throw him I don't think you throw him in with another big name right away. I don't think you throw him in with a big puncher or a dangerous fighter. I think you let him feel it out, see how he recovers, give him a chance to recover, work on some new things, and be in a fight that, that isn't a risk for him to lose consciousness in. Consciousness in. And on a side note, 
if if McGregor was legitimate about that fight, the UFC did Frankie hella dirty by not letting him take that fight from McGregor. That could have been a cash out fight. You saw what he did for Alvarez and Diaz. And if McGregor said, I want that fight, I don't care if it's 165, I don't care if it's 155. It was the UFC's responsibility to look out for the fighter who's been nothing but a company man and get him his money. They had a chance to get him paid. And if, if Conor McGregor was 100% legitimate about that it was their responsibility to explore that to get that man paid for the time effort energy he's put into two divisions for y'all and if they didn't if he was legitimate and the ufc didn't explore it uc failed him he he was not rewarded for the work he's done for them and that should let every fighter who's younger know they don't give a damn about you dude you could sacrifice you could get a title shot you can fight the most dangerous guy in division and they have a chance to get you paid by fighting the biggest name in combat sports and they say nah it's just too much trouble it's not too much trouble. Not for Frankie, it wouldn't have been. On sponsorships alone, he would have got paid. And they just, they just, they just did him dirty. And I, I hope other fighters take note of this. I hope they really pay close attention and take note of this. So, what would be, man? What would it, what would that mean? If you think about Edgar's legacy, and then if you saw him move down to 125 or 135 and getting finished by guys down there, like that, that would be amazing. I hope. I don't know if I agree with him making that move or not. Um, I think it would be interesting. I think it would, it would be more interesting if he had opportunity to become the featherweight champion, won that title, and then moved down to 135 to be the first man to hold three titles in three divisions. I think that that's a different storyline. But moving down again for another shot at another title because he didn't win one where he was, I don't feel so great about that story. Yeah, I don't think he has any chance of getting a title at that stage. I'm pretty sure he's not going to get it at 45. It's He's coming in the last year or two of his career, and, um, you know, he gave it a shot. The best thing he can tell for is if he can luck into a title shot like Bisping or he can luck into a payday, but I don't see either one of those things happening right now. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you there on that. Um, let's talk about O'Malley and Supmentan. Sean O'Malley got up a big win. He was hurt. It looked like a situation where if the ref saw how hard he, how bad he was hurt, it could have actually gone the other direction. But no, he still gets a win. And he has a very special moment when he's t- talking to Joe Rogan right there um, on his back. What are your thoughts about um, what you saw from Sean O'Malley on Saturday? Um, I thought he put on a good performance. I mean, it's what I expected. He's a better athlete. He's a better striker. He's a better... Uh... He's a better fighter, and um, he just he put on a good performance, and he improved greatly. Um, it's kind of disappointing that Sukman Todd kind of underperformed and kind of got exposed a little bit, but that's just part of the fight game. Do you see Sean O'Malley being someone as a prospect that continues to grow and that we um, look forward to seeing in, in the future, or what do you think his ceiling is? Um, I think he could be a legitimate contender. He might be able to get to a championship if they move him correctly. He's super athletic. He's tough. And he's got a natural feel for the game. Like, his ability to manipulate his distance, to pick his shots, place his shots, and use a variety of shots, is, it's really elite. You know, and um, he he's, he showed a little bit of a lack of poise when he fought Tyrion Ware. He kind of blew his blew his load, he, he got tired, he got gas, and he, he put himself in a position to be finished. In this fight, he never did that. It was controlled aggression. It was consistency and volume, but it was controlled aggression. It was well set up. He wasn't ever just trying to overwhelm him. He was just trying to out-athlete. He was thinking in there, and he was making adjustments, and he was 
manipulating the distance and the timing and the range to take apart a guy who's a very good counterpuncher and a very good athlete in himself. He showed a lot of uh, natural talent. He showed a lot of, of IQ and awareness. And that's the thing you want to see in fighters. There's lots of physically talented fighters who fight very stupid and are very unaware. He's not one of those guys. I, I really think he could be a, a title contender in the next two to three years. I wouldn't be in any rush to move him. I'd be trying to give him like two, three fights a year, maybe two fights a year, and have him slowly move him up as far as the caliber of talent and the uh, caliber of fighter he's fighting. Yeah, I think he, he kind of he won me over too, especially with his lead up in the fight week. I think he um, carried himself very well. He looked uh, he looked interesting. He looked like a different a different type of storyline um, than most of the others. That he does. That he does. I definitely do um, agree with that. Let's talk about Ketlin Vieira though, because she's someone who's not getting as much attention, um, maybe because she didn't have such a, a as much of a sexy win over Kat Zingano, but um, she hasn't lost. Uh, she's undefeated, and she's running through a division that doesn't have a lot of contenders. Do you put her behind, right behind um, Rocco Pennington as the next contender at 135? Uh, no, I'd probably have to see her. At the, I want her. I think I'd want her to fight Marianne Renault because she fought Sarah McMahon. Sarah McMahon's not a real MMA fighter. She's a wrestler who does MMA. She is terrible IQ. She's not a threat on the feet, and she's kind of a front runner. She fought Katsingana, who's only fought twice in the past two, two or three years. I don't know how she's ranked in the top ten. The reason she's not getting more play for a win is because Katsingana's really been a non-factor in Bantamweight. She hasn't fought consistently in years. And the last two times she fought, she got finished in, like, what, 15 seconds versus Rousey? And then got out-wrestled and outworked by Juliana Pena. So, I mean, there, there was no hype coming off it. And she hadn't been active. And she only fights once a year. There was nothing to really build any sexiness off of the fight. I mean, Katzengano's been a historically fought, flawed fighter. She's not good defensively. She's kind of a front-runner. She's not good on the feet. She's kind of an attribute-based fighter who uses her physicality and athleticism to, to control where you're at and work you over and explode in spots to beat you up. She's never been very technical. She got, I hate to keep saying this like that because I'm a Misha Tate fan, but Misha Tate was ragdolling her. Misha Tate shouldn't ragdoll anybody. She was knocking around, beating her up on the feet, throwing her down. She's just not that good a fighter. She's like a great, gritty, tough, physical fighter. But as far as skills, she is just not very good. And now she's getting exposed because she's fighting younger, better versions of herself, and they're just beating her up. Okay. Okay. Um, do you think that uh, I'm not? I'm getting a lot of sense, like a lot of noise in the background. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not. Uh, it's it's very loud. But um, let's uh, let's let's move on there because there's two other fights I want to talk about. Where first we have Mackenzie Dern and Ashley Yoder, where Dern got a um, controversial win there. She won via split decision. Um, what did you see here, man? In my opinion, I think that yes, Dern does does have the Ability on the ground to stand out where very few other women stand out or have stood out. But she struggles to get the fight down to the floor. She doesn't have great stand-up. And she does not have the type of takedowns that I think that are the most adequate for MMA. Jiu-Jitsu takedowns work in jiu-jitsu tournaments when people are okay being on the ground. But when you have someone that's so readily active and, and available to try to stop you from taking them down it's something totally different and i think that's what we saw with ashley yoder here um it's something that looked uh very different and i'm not so surprised we saw what we saw 
yeah, I thought she she was close to a finish. The biggest problem was, like you said, she doesn't know how to wrestle. She's still learning that part of the game. She doesn't know how to strike. She's basically getting by on athleticism and aggression. And that was the story of it. She fought harder for it. She was constantly attacking. She was constantly pushing. She was getting countered. She was getting her defi- her takedowns defended, but she was pushing the pace. And eventually she just broke through against Yoder, who is in a big hitter isn't a great wrestler herself and is mostly a grappler so Yoder was fighting against type trying to expose Dern's limitations Dern's a very good athlete she seems to want it but she hasn't been tested she hasn't spent enough time training to really develop a full identity she's just doing whatever she feels she can do right now based on her athleticism and aggression and um they need to find somebody who's who's willing to engage her where she wants to engage and who's a little bit raw as far as the overall skill set so that she can have a chance to compete and develop. Because right now there's there's a group of girls who would either knock her out or just plain actually might just be able to take her down, da- beat her up, take her down, beat her up, take her down repeatedly. Because her, her game's just that it's not cohesive. She, she's got certain aspects of it together, but she doesn't have it all together. And that's where people can get her at, those in-between spots that, that, aren't, that aren't connected. Yeah, um, I think it's just... I'm not surprised. I'm kind of pleased, if nothing else, with what we saw because I hope they put the brakes on rocketing her to the moon. Uh, she did draw, though. Um, her fight brought in a million viewers, and it peaked at the highest point of the, the, the free aspect of the show. So she definitely does have some draw there. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I hope that they slow down the pace of what she's being pushed to the top because I think that they have an opportunity to build someone here. But again, it all depends on if they build her properly. She referenced fighting on this card in Rio. And I think that they need to say no to that and like keep her off for like six months, maybe bring her back in July or bring her back in at the end of the year or something like that. Sometime where she can kind of get some growth and get some key development where it's needed most. Yeah, I would agree with that. At least a minimum of six months. I mean, I'm not saying you got to go all in on wrestling, but you've got to you got to get her a little bit more comfortable with striking exchanges and transitioning from striking into wrestling. She's got enough athleticism. She's a great finisher on the ground, but if you can't get it to where you need to get, she's it, it's going to end very badly for her. Even though there's not a lot of elite strikers, when your defense is that bad and your ability to take get takedowns is that bad, you're going to get highlight reels very soon. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you um, there at all. Uh, another fight I wanted. Um, we have two other fights that were on our card that I kind of had listed out to talk about. I'm curious if you have anything to say about um, Stefan Struve and Andre Olowski or um, Pedro Munoz and John Dotson. Um, the only thing I have to say about Struve is he's, you know, when they see a young fighter, they say they'll learn this later on. They'll get it together. They just have to, uh, you know, learn and, and be patient and develop. Stephen mm-hmm. Shrew was that guy. He, eventually, he'll learn how to fight tall. Eventually, he'll learn how to fight smart. Eventually, he'll use all his tools. He never put all his tools together. He was never able to do that. And it's taken a guy who's still young for the sport and still has a ton of experience at a world-class level, but has never been able to get truly elite because he's never been able to put it all together. He's never learned it. So anytime you hear a young fighter, it's like, well, he just gets his jab. He just learns how to fight tall. He just learns how to fight with discipline. People always assume that's going to happen. And he's a key example of a young, gifted fighter with a lot of experience who never was able to put it together. And that's, that's kind of disappointing. But, 
you're starting to see that trend a little bit. Kat Zingano falls in that. Anthony Pettis falls into that. People who were young coming up and had a lot of potential but never realized it because they never learned the finer points of the game to develop themselves and get to the next level. You know, he, he, he still doesn't know how to fight tall. He let Andre Arlovsky get into boxing range. He let him get into tie-ups. He got taken down left and right by a guy who's not a really good wrestler and a guy who at this point isn't a very sound defensive striker and he couldn't get anything going on the feet. He couldn't keep him away. He, he couldn't outposition him at all. And he's younger, he's fresher, he's got more reach, and he's a comparable enough striker at this point where he should have been able to knock him out or take him down and work him over. And he was never able to do it. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there at all with that. Um, what about uh, Dotson Munoz? The thing about Dotson is he was never, uh, we said that before when he fought Lineker, he, got, he had the physical tools to wrestle, to score wrestling, to get quick takedowns, work on the feet. He could do a lot of things, but he always lends on his athleticism. He, does, he fights in spots. He doesn't put things together. He gets one-handed in his, in his fights. He doesn't fight with both hands. He doesn't fight with both sides. He doesn't use a full array of skills because he's always had the speed and explosiveness to turn fights around or end fights. He's not that guy anymore. He's still quick, he's still explosive to a degree, but he's not hitting like he used to. He's not dynamic like he used to. He can't dictate terms like he used to. And I don't know if he's a disciplined or smart enough fighter in the sense of cage IQ that he can stick to what he needs to do offensively and defensively to win fights against the elite guys anymore. He can still explode in spots, but I don't think his chin's what it used to be. I know his power is not what it used to be. Neither is his speed. And he was never the most well-conditioned guy. So now that he doesn't have that eraser or that automatically the gap between him and his opponents has lessened, I don't know how effective he is as an elite fighter, especially at a bigger weight where guys can bully him and take his power a little bit better. At 25, those shots knock somebody out. At 35, guys can guys can hang in there with him. And, you know, his biggest win, didn't mean he's holding on to He knocked out TJ Dillashaw like four years ago. You know, I mean, there's guys like Cody Garbrandt whose chins are a little shaky, Thomas Almeida, but there's enough guys who are big enough, strong enough, active enough and tough enough that they can test him if not expose him if he's not if you have the best version of John Dodson and physically he's no longer the best version and in that fight he, he was he fought smart but he wasn't he wasn't doing enough work to make it a clear victory and part of that is just because that athleticism that that uh, cheat Cody has of power and explosiveness doesn't exist anymore I think he can still compete in the top 10 I don't know that he gets any closer to a belt than he was before and I don't think he wins one unless something goes horribly wrong for one of the champions. Yeah, I can definitely um, agree with you on that there. Um, so with that in mind, yo, let's go ahead and kind of close out the show here. Let us know what you're working on for this week. What are you covering? Um, I'll have an article. I had an article I released talking about the five reasons OSP has not become elite. That was on Combat Press. It came out this week. I should have another one on Kat Zingano. Hint, if you're a Kat Zingano fan, you probably don't want to read it. Um, and then I have one on coming out on MMA ratings regarding Christina Williams, who got her second win as a flyweight at Bellator, kind of breaking down her game and, and uh, gauging her potential for the future. Good stuff there, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. I am working on pans. We got pans this weekend, so I got some stuff to cover from there. Um, professional wrestling as usual, trying to get, trying to continue to solidify myself in that market got a little bit of writing about there um football as usual uh that's i think that's about it man i'm working on a piece for ratings tonight about the depth in women's strawweight division i think that that's a um 
I think that's a very deep division that people have kind of been ignoring. I said the other day on, on Twitter that I think it's the third deepest division in the UFC right now behind men's lightweight and welterweight and people came for me. You know, it's almost as people are offended that I said that there's a women's division that's better than some men's groups, which, I mean, I made my stance, but, you know, people just went off on the rails there. But um, I'm writing that piece. I hope to have that done uh, tonight. But, um, yeah, we just got some uh, some more to uh, talk about. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good – That's a. would agree with you there. Um, I would, I'd have to agree with 100% with you. They, they, the atom weight division is probably the best. Straw weight and fly weight are, are better than light heavyweight and heavyweight, and they might be better than middleweight, to be quite honest. Bellator's middleweight division isn't really good. And the UFC, if you, if you think about it, past about four guys, it's not very good either. And you know, we already know about light heavyweight and heavyweight for a fact. So you're actually, you, you might be saying something that's unpopular, but you're saying something that's 100% correct. And all these divisions, these lower weight divisions for the girls are the ones that have the most potential because most women operate in those weight ranges when they're in the top shape. It's the bigger ones like 35 or 45 where you start having problems because you don't have enough legitimate athletes who can compete at that size. So you were 100% right on that. Yeah, man, I definitely think that it's, it's something uh, different. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and um, close the show out. Uh, we'll be talking to um, everyone next week. We'll be back for yet another edition of the show. Uh, Shawan, as always, man, I appreciate all you do, and uh, thank you for coming on for yet another show. Yeah, I appreciate you too, man. Thank you very much for having me at Forum. I know, I, I just hope that I don't ever say anything to get you in trouble, because I, I tend to go on these little rants, and I know people don't always like them. I, like I said, I'm always just stating the facts as I see them, where I do the tape research, I, I talk to other fighters, I'm I'm just telling you what other fighters, other coaches have told me, and I'm telling you what I've seen for myself. So it's not anything personal against any fighter or anybody's career. You can always prove me wrong by going out and win, but I got to tell you how I see it. That's that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. And Rafael allows me a platform to do that. And, uh, you know, he reins me in when I need to. Every once in a while, he'll tell me, don't maybe come down to Texas and choke you out, because I will do it. You might you might get a jab, but you ain't got that dope. You ain't get that sprawl game. I'll submit you in a second, and I just back off. But... Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you having me on the show. And just so you know, a uh, former guest on the show, Arlene Sanchez, wanted me, me to tell you she really appreciated you having her on the show and the support that you, you gave and how you let her kind of talk and express her experiences and her views as being a trainer. She really appreciated that. She said she didn't get that opportunity many times, and she really appreciated you letting her be on the show and, and tell her story and tell the story of her gym. So she wanted me to thank you personally. Awesome, man. Well, uh, as always, you know, we're, we're going to do our best that we can to bring on people one time a month, kind of bring us some different voices on the show. So as always, you know, thank you for being the connect that brings a lot of these people on. And as always, man, let's keep it, let's, let's keep it going. All right, sir. You take it easy. No problem. Man. Have a great one.